on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, the stupidest man at Harvard, filmmaker, artist, teacher, Guy Madden is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. Thrilled to be with you on Murmur Radio, M-U-R-M-U-R-Radio.com. One word. You can download us. You can subscribe. You can do multiple things with us. iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Oh, TuneIn Radio. I love TuneIn Radio. I am not paid to say that. Unfortunately, I'm not because I love it anyway. Uh, social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter, Instagram, Civil Play. Uh, email me, murmurradio at gmail.com. M U R M U R radio at gmail.com. Lots of R's, a lot of M's. And if you send me a topic you'd like me to investigate on the show, I will match your topic to a guest. And during said episode, I will bring you into said episode. So maybe we'll call you on the phone, bring you in. Don't be shy. Murmur Radio. Welcome. Welcome back. Today on the show, Guy Madden. Guy is one of my favorites for countless reasons. Today's reason is film teaching, teaching film. And that's the topic. For those of you who know Guy's work, you may be slightly surprised to know that he has been teaching film. Uh, he has been teaching film at the Harvard School of Visual Environmental Studies, which is Harvard's film school. He's been there. Now he's ending his third year. I had no idea. Guy and I have been pen pals, email pen pals, for about six years. This is, you, you know, you think you know a guy via email. <laughs> Recently, he told me, I don't know how we got on the subject, but he was he had been teaching at Harvard. And I thought that was really cool for so many reasons. If you know Guy's work... It privileges emotion. It privileges cinema love. It privileges cinema history, film history, and it privileges what I like to call a film student ethos. And that's not code for it's really poorly made. It's code for you see the workmanship, you see that you feel the effort, you see the effort, and the ethos is the love 
of the thing itself. So I, I would talk to Guy about anything, but today to talk to him about a topic that keeps me up day and night, well, I don't need staying up, I don't need help staying up during the day, but I keep thinking about film teaching. So today we're going to talk about film teaching. And what's cool is I've always wanted to do a direct hit on artists who teach. And we'll do more of these direct hits on teaching. But today to have Guy, someone whose pedigree is beyond reproach, whose aesthetic is a favorite of mine, admittedly, teaching at, at an institution that needs no introduction, Harvard, you know, put this all together. And I think I don't like to talk about luck, as you know, but so let's say fortune, fortunate students to have Guy as a teacher and a mentor. Uh, so let's start there. I um I run the Modern School of Film. I founded the Modern School of Film. Teaching was an advocation, had started as an advocation to my filmmaking work path. Out of university, I was on film sets learning. Uh, and having done that, I wanted to expand into other f- vocational forms of film information. I, and frankly, I was ready to give information back. So I thought teaching would be really uh, rewarding in that way. And it has been the the first interesting stumbling block. I didn't have an advanced degree. I still don't have an advanced degree in film or any related subject as they like to say, but I was able to get a, a teaching opportunity in Italy, in Florence, Italy. And it was amazing. That's the understatement of the, of the millennia for me. I was teaching students from all walks of life, socioeconomically, and also, uh, cinematically and also educationally, culturally, geographically. It was it was diverse. I learned as much from them as they did from me. It's true to this day. I learn as much from my students as presumably, hopefully, they learn from me. But that experience teaching was a gateway drug for a couple of things. I I kept traveling and teaching, and, and I always tell my students I've been able to see the world literally and, and metaphorically through film. It's been a wonderful ride that, that it continues, knock on wood. I just knocked on wood. I just didn't want to I'll knock. You hear that? That's knocking on wood. Within this journey of film teaching, there are, like any vocation, there's pluses and minuses and stuff that really kind of drives me crazy. And we'll get through the thicket of that with Guy today. I'm curious to hear how his practical experience has been being a teacher, but also the metaphysics of film teaching inspires a lot of different questions. Can filmmaking be taught? How does one arrive at the nomenclature of film teacher, you know, because teaching is one of those things you don't really know if you're successful at it till years later. It's not something where you, you could see changes in real time with students, but you may not know how you've affected a student's work or a life later on. And we'll talk to a guy about that because that's an interesting, I think that's a, that's a ubiquitous teacher boomerang that is a reality. But film teaching draws to mind other, other questions. Do you need to go to a school and do you need to be in front of a teacher to learn film? Historically, the answer is no. And definitively, the answer is no. So what can a teacher provide? What can a film school provide? Okay, community, uh, camaraderie, um, deadlines. You know, we can go through this list. Equipment, uh, meeting your future collaborators, a view into the industry, depending on the on the, on the the guide. You know, teachers as a guide, it's always a, a tricky thing. Do accomplished filmmakers make for the best film teachers? And if a film teacher is a good teacher but not an accomplished filmmaker, does that make them less of a teacher? Where do the pelts on the wall, the artistic pelts on the wall, factor in to the success of teaching? 
Now, so much of teaching is trust. Students have to trust you. But it is slippery because teaching art of any measure, and film is one of those measures, it has left brain and right brain parts to it. You know, technical filmmaking can exist in a school, but then again, we're in this YouTube nation, this DIY nation, where if you want to learn how to read a light meter, you can go online. You don't need to invest money. I always find that the greatest investment that students make is time, and I honor that as a teacher. I still maintain you can learn how to make a film by watching certain films, not only the good ones, but the bad ones, maybe more so the bad ones. So there's a lot of complexities around film teaching. There's a lot of contradictions. One that rattles my brain a lot is this idea of an advanced degree. We put a premium now more than ever. I mean, when I started teaching, you could really prove yourself without an advanced degree. If you could hold down a class, if you had an important, precise piece of information that made sense, you could be a teacher. But now there are laurel wreaths around it, which are contradictory. And that hurts me. I don't have an advanced degree, but by all accounts, I've been a decent teacher. So that part of advanced degree speaks to a larger, to me, conundrum and contradiction of education in general. We'll save that for ongoing episodes. But today, film education. What do students pay for when they sit in front of a film teacher? Film information is finite. Film information is salvageable. Film information is everywhere. So what are you paying for? You are paying for the delivery of that information, the tour guide of that information, because the information you can find, and I tell my students that all the time. One of the reasons I started the Modern School of Film and our pet spoken and unspoken mantra is you don't need to be in a school to be a student, and I believe that. I'm a student. I'm a student of film and of my students and of environments. But what is a teacher? Guy Madden was asked to teach. Is he teaching out of necessity? Well, you know, jobs are out of necessity, so that's some form of the baseline. But film teaching, and we don't want to get into the crummy baselines of being a teacher, the low pay, the adjunct hell. We don't want to get into much of that. Well, we could. We'll see where Guy wants to go with it. But I want to look into the contradictions of saying you teach film. So what are you teaching? And can you love something too much that you're unable to learn it? Most film students start as lovers, and I maintain that Because film is finite and because film is a youthful art and technological form, you start most often as a fan before you become a student, and that's a problem. I think sometimes learning something when you're not a fan makes it easier because you divorce your emotion from it. And once you divorce your emotion, you can kill it, you can can heat it up, you can eat it, you can throw it away. But when you love it, you 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 may get too precious about it. And I think the same is for film teachers. You know, film teachers are film lovers. You know, how much influence is too much influence for a film teacher to have on his or her students? Film is not a new, neutral environment, and yet we assume in the definition of any teaching there's neutrality. There can't be neutrality. Yes, certain forms, maybe arithmetic, teaching arithmetic has a neutrality, but even then, even the most unemotional and seemingly cold and clinical teachers have to put their own topspin on it. Teachers are delivery systems. Today, we have just, you know, one of my favorite delivery systems, <laughs> Guy Madden. I mean, that, that is cause to celebrate the potential of film teaching when we have people like Guy Madden teaching. Again, not to sound condescending, 
when we when you hear and when I heard that guy was teaching, I thought there's hope for film education. <laughs> it's not all you know brass plaques and gold watches. It's not all GRE scores and where did you go to grad school and how many course hours you paid for. It's it's artists. I find it's a cool time to teach filmmaking. But that's an important question to ask Guy. Is this a great time to ask, to teach filmmaking or is this a really – is film teaching opening up now or is it atrophying? Again, when I heard Guy was teaching, I thought it's opening up. If institutions will let teachers like Guy and I teach students, then there's hope – modestly said there's hope for students everywhere and there's hope that film will continue to be important to teach, not simply because of – what it is, but of all the human parts that go into film teaching and filmmaking. You know, I always find we're modeling something beyond film. And and the best teachers I've had in my life have modeled something beyond the subject. There's an old expression, you don't take the class, you take the teacher. I would take Professor Guy Madden's class any day, whether it's basket weaving, poetry for physics, or a class called I Hate Guy Madden. If Guy Madden was teaching it, I'll bring an apple. Today on Murmur, Guy Madden. Now this. Welcome to Contemporary American History. I'm Professor Turgeson. You know, a lot of people think history is just facts. It's just information about the past. But not me. I mean, I hold history very sacred. Sacred. The way the farmer looks at the earth and he holds it sacred. The way... A Christian takes the Bible and he holds it sacred, the way a lot of people hold their marriage sacred. So I feel about it. So why don't we dive right in by interpreting one of the easiest events in the last 20 years of American history. Now, can someone tell me why in 1975 we pulled our troops out of Vietnam? The failure of Vietnamization to win popular support caused an ongoing erosion of confidence in the various American but illegal Saigon regimes. Is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there. I know a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't here in a classroom, hoping I was right, thinking about it. I was up to my knees in rice paddies with guns and Edward going up against Charlie, slugging it out with him while pussies like you were back there partying, putting headbands on, doing drugs, listening to the goddamn Beatle albums. Oh, oh. Hey, hey, Professor, take it easy, will you? I mean, these kids, they were in grade school at the time. And me, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Oh, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. But since you want to help, maybe you can help me, okay? You remember that thing we had about 30 years ago called that Korean conflict? Yeah, where we failed to achieve victory. How come we didn't cross the 38th parallel and push those rice eaters back to the Great Wall of China and take the first brick, brick, brick and nuke them back into the fucking Stone Age River? How come? Tell me why? Say it! Say it! All right, I'll say it. Because Truman was too much of a pussy wimp to let MacArthur go in there and blow out those coming bastards! Good answer. Good answer. I like the way you think. I'm going to be watching you. Good teacher. He really seems to care. About what, I have no idea. Change your heart. Look around you. 
change your heart It will astound you Everybody's gotta learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime So I met today's guest, you may not remember, but I met him six years ago, and how do I remember that? It's because I remember who I was dating at the time, of course. This is how I mark time. I met him at the School of Visual Arts. He was doing one of the things he does exquisitely well. He is the greatest recommender of films ever, period. And he did something that only one other filmmaker has ever done, and I was charmed ever since. He gave me his business card. Little did he know I would make full use of it. The other filmmaker to do that actually was uh, the late Al Mazels, Albert Mazels. Incredible. And to, and to think of these two filmmakers as if they needed to pass out business cards. Uh, that said, I want to talk to him about something a little different today because he and I also know something together very similarly. We know the secret handshake of being a teacher. Whether we want to or not, we have been washed in the blood. So I actually wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about the value or lack thereof in teaching film. Um, he is a filmmaker, a writer, and uh, art installer is that right? I mean, what what does one call oneself when one does um, art installations? I know he or she calls himself an artist, and that's how I consider today's guest. But he's also a teacher. Please welcome to Murmur uh, my email pen pal. Together again for the first time, Mr. Guy Madden. Hello, it's Guy. Hey, Guy, it's Robert Malazzo. Welcome to Murmur. How are you, man? Great. How are you? It's been years and years and years, and it's really cool to actually talk to you again. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Hey, I I dropped in on one of your appearances in LA I think when you interviewed Tavis Smiley on stage oh that, uh, yeah I didn't I didn't have time to say hello my I was with my wife at the time and we ran back I ran away after but that was a great show I know you're a Douglas Sirk guy so imitation of life is kind of an easy one but it was cool to hear his perspective I had a really bad experience showing that film in Toronto at a, a college of art and design in the early aughts where the kids of color in class really reacted violently against that film and I was huh. I left the room kind of staggered because you know well certainly it's a film of its time it certainly seemed to be addressing things about as well as things could have been addressed at the time. So I was really fascinated to hear what Smiley had to say about it. And I felt a little bit vindicated, but maybe yeah. I was just the wrong person to be teaching that film to that class. I mean, it was like the closest thing to a revolt that I've ever had. And I finally just gave up and just told them they're all right and just went home. I was really <laughs> sad after. So Ironically, I was in your neck of the woods about a year ago with uh, Skip Gates, um, Henry Louis Gates Jr. at Harvard. And uh, we showed Imitation of Life, and it's a favorite of his as well. We showed the original. The Louise Beavers version or whatever. Right, right, right. So thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you. <laughs> Wherever we are. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for anything, I guess, as much as my memory 
uh, can like find the words <laughs> that I have uh, latently tucked away in my head somewhere, yeah. and uh, the recollections. Well, well this will be... be more like a, <laughs> yeah. an interview with a fog or something like that. We'll make it green if that helps the the fog. Um, yeah, exactly. this <laughs> that's a fog you could you could you could believe in. Yeah, I, I've actually I'm sitting in my basement uh, office at Harvard where I'm teaching. So, or attempting to teach, uh, I'm in a in a position that sort of rolls over every year with a different visiting filmmaker. But this is my third year, and last year, um, Chantel Ackerman once taught here wow. in the same position as I did, and um, I don't know. That's there's also an interesting uh, little roll call of of heroes of mine, but she's at the top of that list. It's funny, you know, for, yeah. the, for those uninitiated, it's funny. I always thought Harvard had a cool name for their program, Visual Environmental Studies. Why do they call it that? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just, I don't want to, uh, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but Harvard just does everything a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, and so they've mixed the film and fine arts departments together and it's called Visual Environmental Studies. But at, almost at every staff meeting, um, debate is reopened about what to call it going forward. Um, But it's just VES right now, but it doesn't mean anything uh, to anyone outside of Harvard. They do a bunch of other things differently too. It's just bureaucratically and maybe they've been doing it since the 1650s. I don't know. It's just, I think it's (laughs) something they take pride in. It's just let, let everyone else emulate them. Right. They will. I'm not sure. It's just, it's the culture. The culture here, it's interesting, that's for sure. Titularly, and you know, you may be seeing some of these tea leaves, film filmmaking programs are becoming media studies programs. You know, this word film is being eviscerated yeah. out. I mean, I, li- I like the neutrality of visual and environmental studies, or but it's changing, right? I mean, what is this a good time to teach filmmaking, or is this the shittiest time since the Lumieres um, to teach filmmaking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did the Lumiere brothers have to go teach filmmaking? No. I, um, I, for someone like me who hasn't maybe ever uh, compulsively thought of of um, collecting a nest egg for myself, or or maybe penetrating a, a huge commercial market, um, but uh, who's been lucky enough to get some sort of, uh, you know critical recognition it's it's perfect for me because uh, there's um a lot every now and then i can make a project with a budget big enough to draw myself a director's salary but quite often there there's a year or seven where uh <laughs> the income is a trickle dog year basically yeah we're talking. <laughs> yeah and and so teaching is is pretty lovely and um there's some really great filmmakers teaching here um uh, Ross Mackle, he uh, did. Um, I just watched Sherman's March. March. I just watched it this weekend. Yeah. I love that film. I mean, yeah. maybe it's because it hits no, close to home. Yeah, brilliant. yeah. It's a, it's. He's been there. Talk about a dog's age. He's been there a while. He's been there since the mid '80s. He's, he actually starts there in the movie. The movie he talks about coming back to Cambridge and teaching at film school. Lo and behold, that school was actually Harvard. But I digress. Oh, so, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's it's nice to be here with people. I don't know. I I um I'm 61 years old now, and I arrived here the very day I outlived my father in years, uh, months, weeks, and days, and I felt really that that coincidence was pretty magical. Wow. I just felt so lucky to arrive here with a new, uh, my dad didn't like his job that much. And uh, here I was starting a new job on 
on the day I outlived them. And I've felt pretty lucky since. I like hanging around with people who think differently than I do. And this Harvard milieu is just packed with people like that. Um, I think I was here a week when I had decided to start developing a TV series called The Stupidest Man at Harvard. I was drawing on a lot of my early experiences. I couldn't even... You know, I was pushing on doors that were clearly labeled pull and op and vice versa, and you know, uh, that just and just misspeaking so much at staff meetings. And I, you know, I entered through film and definitely into academia through the back door, sneaked in when no one was looking. You know, I'm a self-taught, you know, self-taught. Harvard instructor, you know, it's yeah. ridiculous. And and if you know, if anyone listening has seen my movies, they can tell that I'm. I'm self-taught the way a five-year-old child is self-taught to finger paint. You know, it's it's not like you know the the work's kind of primitive. And, well, uh, luckily, and so there are t yeah. there are times here where I feel like a total imposter. Well, luckily, we see films like Children. You know, I always use the example with yeah. my students when infants don't conceive of space, right? So so when when dad or mom leaves the room, we think they're dead. Until they come back. And in a way, that's kind of the rubric of film, right? You know, who's that new character? Yeah. What are, you know, again, you and I could get in any quagmire of quagmire, but, you know, in, in the spirit of your dad, uh, who was, I believe, a GM of the Maroons at some point in his life. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a hockey guy in his spare time. By day, he was just a um, humble grain clerk. A grain clerk, He really yeah. hated that job. And, uh, but uh, at night, a non-paying position, he was the... Um, general manager, road manager, wore many hats for the Canadian national team and the Winnipeg Maroons. Well, I, uh, I want to Zamboni around maybe. a little bit of this. Can I use Zamboni as a verb or is that like too American? Uh, yeah, that's the first time I've heard it. It's amazing. Let's do it. Um, were you asked to be at Harvard or how did it just talk before we go back? Because you've taught before Harvard, but let's let's marinate in Harvard a little bit. Were you asked? Yeah, sure. How did that come up? How did the post at Harvard come no, up? No, no, no. Um, I <laughs> wish I was asked. That would be more flattering, but it was pretty flattering the way it all played out. Um, I realized I, I was in financial trouble and I needed uh, yet another teaching job. I had one at the University of Manitoba, but just for one semester a year. So I was shopping around f for another teaching job that could fill the other semester. And um, I wrote to some people I've come to know over the years, Josh Siegel, a curator at uh, MoMA. Josh is great, yeah. Uh, Dennis, Dennis Lim, um, great. You know, the, the film writer. Sweet man. He's been a wonderful supporter of mine, and it turns out he teaches at Harvard, and both of them wrote back pretty quickly and said, um, hey, they're, um, they're deciding on who uh, will teach next year. I think they're deciding tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I was at an <laughs> airport in between on a layover, and um, can you just get your resume in as quickly as possible and luckily I had one um, ready I think I just burnished it a little bit to um, blew the dust off it and stuff like that and sent it in and and by the time um, I woke up the next morning I had I had been offered a job so I was really Good lucky Christ and, uh, man yeah yeah and so I really landed on my feet um, the only hitch was that um, they don't have one semester teaching gigs here I had to accept um, um, a full year, and uh, that meant, but I that meant I had to invoke a clause I had at the University of Manitoba uh, that I had put in in case I ever got a film to shoot. I I had an agreement that I could take a year off without pay and um, uh, and come back when that year was up and I'd finished shooting a film. 
Um, but apparently the language which we'd agreed to in a, in a meeting was never actually put into the contract. So I was promptly <laughs> fired by the University of Manitoba oh, for um, accepting a job at Harvard. Um, I, uh, uh, University of Manitoba is one of those colleges, like probably like 99% of the others that are in budget slashing mode now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of irksome because it does not take a visionary to slash budgets. It takes a visionary to build up programs and any idiot can come in and just start hacking away. My my job was a good one there, and so it must have felt really good to hack my budget line out of their um, beleaguered uh, ledger. But um, anyway, so I did them the favor of leaving, uh, and I've been really happy at Harvard ever since. Well, I want to pick through the bones of this. Christ, man, your guy Madden resume. I mean, this is like my brain is about to short circuit because you're you're a <laughs> modest beyond you know exponentially modest. I don't have the the integer to add <laughs> here. You know, you're effing guy Madden. There there's a tussle here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk as if I don't like you as much as I do, which I do. <laughs> my point is, you know, there's this thing in academics about becoming a teacher as an artist. And there's this thing that's been my albatross because I'm not Guy Madden. I'm a good teacher, but I also don't have an MFA. Now, how, and I'm not, yeah. tr- I'm not trying to be critical, but I want to, I want to get in bed with you on this idea. W- was there any bypassing? And I'm not trying to be critical here. Did you have an advanced degree? Was there, I mean, you're, again, no wonder you got it this next morning. Did Have I mentioned you're Guy Madden, but w- was there <laughs> any other kind of red tapery you had to snip? And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be critical here. Here. I just want to no, read, no, no, no. I want they, to go backwards a little they bit. They did it all. They they did all the red tape here. The office is really great at um, handling work visas and things like that. Um, no, right there on my resume is my. Um, did I put my all the letters after my name? It's Guy Madden, B A. And uh, bastard, I was smart enough not to include my G- GPA uh, after, which is pretty humble. I was a horribly indifferent student. I entered school straight from high school and a really young really young 17 i was kind of like 11 and um i was just told by my parents to get the university over with as quickly as possible they meant well but i wasn't interested in anything and so i graduated with a really poor grade point average and and then luckily a few years later in my late 20s found filmmaking and just and i inherited about forty thousand dollars from my beloved aunt lil and decided to use it to attend the film school of Guy Madden. I just was the only, I uh, was the principal, the only instructor and, um, <laughs> and the only student. And, um, I lived off the money for about 18 months and, and made a film, uh, with whatever. And I never really separated living expenses from film expenses. I just, just tried to make a film. Now I knew it'd be primitive. And, um, so I didn't write a script that would be, well, I didn't write a script at all, as a matter of fact, but I knew, not to write something that would require a, a slick, accomplished a technician. Just wrote it for myself. And, and I bought a camera out of Hawk and just started shooting. And that's my film school. I just, right. uh, did it and learned through trial and error. Well, the history books tell me, and we can throw them out but cor- and cor- or correct them, rewrite them. You were an econ major initially in the first iteration. Is that right? Was That, that sounds like yeah. root, root canal for you. Economics and with a math minor. I don't know. It's just... I figured that was my hemisphere and that that was what I, I did stand the best chance of getting good grades in that hemisphere, but being happy in that hemisphere was another matter. So I ran into some people after uh, a few years after I graduated and was 
really miserable at some, uh, the first few jobs I got and um, just just uh, some of my new friends just really loved literature, really loved film, really loved theater and art and and I learned from talking to them that I seemed to have an aptitude for understanding what they were getting at or that the, I, I or I had a great deal of respect for how hard it would be to grasp what they were getting at and they were really encouraging and so I just decided to leave um math and, and <laughs> economics behind and Foolish I should have stayed in economics in a way. I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah, yeah. it's actually more of an art than a science anyway. Um yeah. it's just a bunch of, you know, it's an interpretive art. Uh, blank I, I, verse or something like that. But. I miss my statistics class. I, I love it. I actually, I, I really do. <laughs> Speaking with Guy Men, you know, I, I want to throw a couple of This Is Your Life's into it because it'll get back into the thicket of oh, no. film education. No, 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 no. There's no one uh, on the other end of the line. But there is in a kind of spiritual way. You know, when I talk about Stephen Snyder, Stephen was an instructor of yours, correct? It was pretty simple, actually. I just, I, I had been married briefly in a kind of a racer head sort of situation and it ended and and even in the short 15 months I was married I um I somehow lost touch with everyone from my past except for one friend um who had started taking film classes and he just started to sneak me into the darkened screenings I was 24 so coming to it a bit late most of your um cineast listeners probably of uh, love affairs that date back to earliest childhood, but um, mine came a little later, and uh, I just started watching these films um, um, that were being projected by Steve Snyder and George Tolles at the University of Manitoba, and I just learned to love this wonderful place in this new chapter of my life, this sort of um, uh, post-marital, um, still career limbo state, and I just, I don't know, just fell in love with cinema the way so many of your listeners must have. Uh, Snyder had the really magical screening experiences. He had an apartment uh, with a big crack in the plaster on the wall against which he projected a 16 millimeter print of a different movie every night. And the, I guess wow. these were, you know, the canon as of 1980. And, uh, but, you know, so I saw Sullivan's Travels and, but well, I, I got to um, apartment sit his, um, his place in the um, <laughs> oh. early 80s. And, and he left behind um, 16 millimeter prints of Berkeley's 42nd Street, oh, wow. uh, Lage d'Or by Bunuel and Eric von Storm's Foolish Wives. And I just watched them each about 60 times. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of strange because, well, VHS hadn't quite come out in a big way yet. So I didn't have a VCR. And... Um, so I just watched on film over and over and over again. And I, that's where I learned to love the splices, the sprocket uh, rips, the dust, the murk, the uh, optical crackle, uh, the degradation, the crack in the plaster, uh, his cat that would walk across the projection every now and then, um, the people that came over and disrupted the screenings and interacted with them. And I don't know, it was just a really organic experience. I, I, it seems ridiculous to say I feel sorry for people that don't have that experience, you know, where they get to watch, you know, a, a beautifully restored print of Denis Belungen or Metropolis or something when in fact just just sort of trying to waft the murk away from the image to see what was behind it was really special. But, you know, now I sound like some old fart. 
No, I'm just I'm just embarrassed for you because your memory is obviously so bad. Um, I was wondering. This is something I wonder about, and I wonder in your teaching, how much influence should a film teacher have? I find there's a kind of agnosticism that's helpful, and there's a tasting. I tell my students, I don't teach you taste; I teach you craft. But taste comes out, obviously. Can a film teacher have too much? taste-based influence can they be too much of a jaundiced yeah you know tour guide or is is that just oh, probably yeah <laughs> but you know it's up to you to sort it out i loved it uh i loved being guided by george and steve and they did have two different you know two different takes completely their tastes overlapped only occasionally but um I loved it and i just threw myself over to them completely and then there comes a time uh, when, you know, and that's that kind of a shared avidity, you know, where, you, you know, you just need it and you get intoxicated from each other. And, um, um, I think, I think an instructor can get, um, quite excited by a student's avidity to learn. And, um, so it keeps, you know, gets an instructor out of bed in the morning. Um, and it definitely, you know, just those, those days where everything's changing, you know, it's, it's, like when a whole new form of music suddenly starts developing it just felt like that for me it felt like um you know Beatlemania all over again or <laughs> punk uh, all over again or hip-hop all over again you know like yeah, it's just like yeah. all this new stuff like a new tsunami of matter that was just so exciting and and of course a, a kind of a, a crush on your instructor I'm not saying an in No, 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 no. I'm I'm crush, thinking like a, Donald an, Sutherland uh, uh, in know, Animal a, House. A like... thraldom. Yeah, some sort of thraldom <laughs> yes. to the instructor's <laughs> taste. You know, for years, and it was uh, not just film, it was books, too, that I, I heard George Tolles' voice in my head while mm. I was reading an author. You know, Thomas Mann, Bruno Schultz, Vladimir Nabokov. They all sounded like George Tolles, and he's got a, an accent. <laughs> Uh, he's from Buffalo, so he's got a Buffalo accent. So he didn't, <laughs> didn't really sound like Nabokov, but poor Nabokov got to sound like he was from a suburb of Buffalo. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, it was great. And it was a great place to start. And then comes a time where you got to kill your father. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and go off and find some books and movies on your own. And, and then your father gets mad at you and there's a rough spell and you get through it. And then probably things are healthier again. Um, you got to just know or sense when to do that. Now, how is a young student supposed to know when to do that? They don't, but it probably just comes naturally. You get tired of being told to like or dislike things, like the bloom falls off, and then suddenly you just want to assert your own tastes a little bit, and uh, and all sorts of domestic spats result. And um, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's fine. Uh, it as a matter of fact, I. Um, I wish, not that I need to be worshipped, but as an instructor, I wish I could sense more students like just drinking in the wonder of what I'm going, uh, what I went through when I was their age, you know. But um, I, I guess I was kind of um, an exception rather than a rule, you know, the, just the avidity. I did, when uh, about 14 years ago, teach my current filmmaking collaborator, Evan Johnson. I taught him as an 18-year-old, and he had that. You know, he came up to me after class, and he asked the follow-up questions, and he asked where I, he could get a hold of other films by this filmmaker that he just beheld for the first time, that sort of thing. And, and that's the kind of stuff um, uh, that 
you want. It's like to the degree that I had it up, but it's just like someone who's just all in, you know, well, it's so exciting. I, I guess just to see myself, but in like uh, more uh, with far more potential. Well, yeah, no, you're. I don't see you going anywhere, frankly. Um, I see a downward. <laughs> my, the the hockey stick, as they say, is going down into the right. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, this is guy <laughs> being with guy men. I was I was thinking about though, you know, teaching is a sort of boomerang, and you don't know what effect you have on students until maybe fifteen or twenty years later. You you simply don't. That's you, true. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a frustrating boomerang because I think the human condition potentially is to seek Im- immediate feedback, and you won't know yeah. and you'll never know guy I, or you may know in an email or a message in a bottle how great you were to these young people and that kind of tiptoes into another question do you think we go to school too early in our life i've been debating this we're asking 19 and 20 year olds to make major fucking life decisions what the hell are we thinking do you think we go to film school let's locate it around film school do you think film education can happen too early and film love, because you can peak too early, you know. <laughs> I mean, your love for yeah. something can peak and plummet. And with a film, with an industry and a technology, as you know, that has changed five times since we started this talk, sh- yeah. should we go to, should you look into things a little, I mean, culture doesn't allow us to look into things later, but do you think film school is best left for an older age or a latter age than traditional education. I've never thought of that, but I have had some older students, you know, some in their uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're all excellent. They're ready. You know, they're, they're more focused by then, but that doesn't mean everyone should. I keep hoping that technology will allow a rumbo of, of cinema to emerge, you know, that someone just with a smartphone and the smarts will be able to come up with just the right um, combination of of idea and medium in, uh, and make something legendary and uh, eye-popping and, you know, game-changing for everything. And, and then maybe like Rambo, flare out early and become like an ivory trader or whatever he became. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Cowett was the closest thing to that. I, um, I think about John uh, because I, th- back. I think Tarnation was more of a pivot point than... I teach Tarnation a lot. I show Tarnation a lot. And I think it was more of a fulcrum point. But pivot points are so subtle now, and this is one of the challenges. You know, I was thinking, though, and again, speaking as if you're not here, and this had nothing to do with our chat, I'm actually teaching seances today, and not not the abstract idea. I'm going to show some of your work vis-a-vis seances to a class today. I'm teaching a film class. Well, I'm teaching a film class right now, and I'm redesigning it into, you know, it's a typical. I'm trying to look at the new logarithm. Um, how do you mm. match the audience to the form, to the form maker? And I think your work, Seances, has done that beautifully. And for those of you listening, you should dig into this. Speaking with Guy Men, can you teach filmmaking if you've never made a film? Um, yeah, probably. I get, Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, hey, Scotty Bowman, one of the full of yeah, a, a lot of hockey coaches. They've won Stanley Cups without playing. You know, um, Scotty Bowman, right. one of the greatest coaches ever. Of the, I think he's the highest winning percentage ever uh, for the uh, uh, Detroit Red Wings Stanley Cups. His his yeah. career got cut short, and he was a teenager. He was in juniors, so he never really made it right. to the big game. And we wouldn't scoff yeah, at him. Yeah, sports is full of coaches that. Um, but I, I I think you get the feeling like they at least played when they were kids or something. 
something. And I, I'm sure yeah. Scotty Bowman could skate at least. But, <laughs> yes, you know, but yeah, why not teach uh, teach film from uh, at least film studies, maybe filmmaking. You got to know how to work the equipment. Conversely, I, I have a TA right now, Patrick Marshall, um, that makes it possible for me to teach filmmaking here at Harvard because I can't keep up with all the technical yeah. Yeah. changes. Yeah. And, and uh, so my, we just collaborate on teaching the class. And um, we've, I don't know, it almost doesn't matter if we've made, I guess if you're showing someone the equipment and self and just let them go out and make their mistakes. When you're using your own time and even your own money on making a film, the trial and error um, trial and error is the most efficient um, instructor. Yeah. You know, you're kind of heartbroken when you've worked so hard on something and it just comes back crap, you know. And you can kid yourself for a while, and all filmmakers do, uh, that it's okay or even great. And then there's this, at Harvard, there's a big screening of all the class films at the end, and that's where you kind of, and they're in very long programs, three hours. I know. Sometimes the, I know. there's two, three hour programs in one day. And so if your film is a little slow, um, you you not only are forced to admit it, you're sort of beaten up a little bit. Uh, yeah. And it's unfair because well, it's, even if it's, you know, we could put in Antonioni short in the middle and you wouldn't call it great. Because it's in the middle yeah. of the program, so those are I use yeah. the word those are jaundiced. Those are cruel, those are cruel X-rays. They're they're not fair. Yeah. They're more they're more about you no. know drinking a glass of wine. I don't think they're fair critically. But anyway, uh, um, I yeah. sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. But I like how you split no, no. how you split it up because technology is so rapid and and it's so DIY now. I mean, if kids want to know how to do something in Adobe, they just go to YouTube. You yeah, actually you know, often uh, just say um, you know if you're editing late at night and you run into a problem, just go to YouTube. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's some tutorials up there. You'll, you'll probably be able to figure it out. Uh, you know, that's a great way of teaching. Go to YouTube. Uh, <laughs> you. But it, you know, it'll do because I don't feel like being on 24-hour call, I know. Uh, especially near deadline time. So when, ki yep. when kids pay to learn film, what are they paying for? Um, the, uh, Why do I'm they not go? even sure yeah. that kids, that all kids should go to film school for one thing. I do wish I'd gotten more formal rigor that film school presumably offers. But, um, but then you realize when you do come to a film school to visit as an instructor or to actually work like I am now that, um, that th there isn't time to teach all that rigor anyway. And, uh, and that a lot of, and that each student has their own uh, filmmaking voice anyway, and their own tendencies and, and, you're getting people at undergrad age where people just have to do their thing. Yeah. And, and often that's just copying their heroes. And that's important too. So uh, whether you do it on your own, whether you spend the money on the tuition and learn in a sort of um, a structured system where I think what happens to some students is instead of making the film they're dying to make, the film is converted into a series of deadlines that they loathe and are happy to miss. And it just becomes a chore. Yeah. So if you yeah. make, for some temperaments, if you just go out and spend that money on your film project instead of tuition, and uh, you're not alienated from your own labor, uh, you might do better. But other people need that structure, and they need the com 
competition and the camaraderie. Did I don't know. I, so I honestly, when someone comes to me, I just tell them I don't know them well enough to tell them whether they should go to film school or not. My first answer when kids ask me, I say, well, how much money do you have? And I, I look, I break it down practically because uh, yeah. I don't mean on yeah. you to get the answer. I don't mean I'll answer you if you pay me. I meant, um, <laughs> you know, what, what <laughs> yeah, is this, yeah, yeah. this going to do? do to your life. And there's another C word, not that C word, the other one, community. I think students want, uh, as you know, this just in, filmmaking is a pretty lonely profession. Yeah. Um, so community, and, and you can go to meet, and you, you've you've walked in these footsteps, you meet the writer you're going to work with for years, you meet the producer, you meet the actors, you know, they, they, they it, it's, a, it's an appointment, and it's an expensive appointment, but it's an appointment nonetheless. I was thinking just to button hook your idea about go, just go to YouTube, uh, which you and I should start a school called Just Go to YouTube State. It has to be state, though. <laughs> just, you know, um, but I was, Werner Herzog, I don't know if you've heard much about the Rogue Film School, and I want to talk about Werner yeah. a little later, but uh, he has this manifesto of the Rogue Film School, and number three is the Rogue Film School will not teach anything technical related to filmmaking. For this purpose, please enroll at your local film school. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, Werner gets it again. Yeah. We're speaking with Guy Madden. In, th- in this kind of mid-beatish, you know, I, w- I was thinking about film teachers and and they'll tell you how much LA sucks, you know, and, and they'll tell you how much the business sucks. Do you ever worry about feeling, giving off sort of a cynicism about not the craft, but the business, because the craft is never divorced from the business as far as I'm concerned. And this is not a revolutionary idea, but you know, you can't look at King Vidor and not think about how he worked within a system, you know? So the history is laced into systems and business as the business works its way on you, for better or for worse. Are you worried that that comes out in your teaching as cynicism? Yeah, I got to. I got to respect. Even though my films are clearly uh, made outside any system, uh, except for maybe the Canadian, you know, arts state support system. Um, I got to. I firmly believe I'm not here at Harvard to teach uh, students to be me. You know, heaven forbid. It's already probably one too many of me here. Um, so I'm there to give you know give them the chance to be what they want to be. So some of them have made it quite clear with the projects they they may be not saying it out loud, but with the projects they've written and and the style with which they're trying to shoot them, that they want to be in Hollywood. Like um, I guess our most famous graduate from the very program in which I teach from the very class in which, uh, that I teach now is Damien Chazelle, yeah, yeah. director of La La Land. Right. Um, so there are students here that want to be as successful as him. There are others that would like to work. You could tell maybe work in sketch comedy on television. Well, there's and the whole really Harvard, and, the Harvard yeah. pipeline, you know, the Simpsons and SNL and the Lampoon right, right. pieces, you know, that are well-documented. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I, no, no, that's okay. I kind of wish there were a few more students um, that loved as much as I. I guess the two most um, influential films when I first started watching movies back in, at age 24 uh, were Bunuel's Lage d'Or and Vigo's Zero for Conduct. Uh, and yeah, um, I just love how primitively put together they are about um, the emotions that come out, out, out between these jagged sutures um, in the film, how um, uh, clunkily performed they are, how, um, I don't know, they, uh, I just, they just remind me 
of the kind of honest and primitive and rapidly fashioned work that comes out of um, uh, kindergarten's arts and crafts period. And um, but there's just so much truth and honesty and hilarity in them, and they're just as delightful as the best artwork by a five-year-old. Uh, but they're also obviously intellectually smart, and uh, that's saying that's a grotesque understatement those films really excited me and still do i can't believe how i i'm still not tired of those movies and i wish and so i show them every year as an example of what someone who doesn't have uh and doesn't even want to have total glossy technological mastery over the medium but is more interested in getting feelings up on the screen i wish there were more students like that. You've run into some students that are... I have, and you know know whose work I show them, actually. Uh, You'd be surprised. Uh, Guy Madden. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. (laughs) Well, my work falls pretty short, but it's... It does. I tell them that. I give uh, them... Standards up there. I give them a (laughs) disclaimer. I I type it into Adobe, and I I put it in front, and I said, this is not a film. I say it in French. (laughs) As we get to the last couple of beats, do you show clips of your work... Almost never. I can't stand the discomfort that uh, result uh, resulting from the silence in the class after. <laughs> now, Harvard students get into Harvard by talking their way into Harvard, right. right? They have to write an essay, but you have to go through an interview process. Everyone can talk, whether well, and they're really good at bluffers. But my um, my films seem to bring. Um, I guess because I'm the one that just showed them, it adds an extra. It's not fair to the students. So I I have in the past, but I've learned not to. I'll show um, the films by my heroes. I also love George Kuchar's work, a lot of it anyway, not all of it. I wish I had access to more of it. It's not all readily available out there. He made a billion works, and um, I like his... uh, He went through a phase where he shot on video, uh, but he edited in camera so he would shoot his film in order and take take a shot maybe shoot a little bit extra at the tail end of a shot and then rewind it to the point where he wanted to cut and then just get the next shot there and some of those edited in camera things they're like those you know Italo Calvino Ulipo projects this remarkable uh, obstruction of having to edit in camera Incredible. while you go and still make an amazing uh, essay film or uh, or some sort of throbbing romance. Some of his weather diaries are like that, where they become they start with weather and end up being fictional melodramas. And I don't know, they're just remarkable. But I also like almost all of his film work. He stopped working in film in the early '70s, but I don't know. I show those. You know, they inspired John Waters to make. You know to make film and but but uh, kids are all now getting to be born in this century and and i guess you can't expect them to be excited by the same things but large door and um zero for conduct were 50 years old when i fell in love with them so now they're just you know close to 90 years old uh, i don't know I'll keep searching. searching. <laughs> well, as we look, as we look, as we end uh, in a state of melancholia, <laughs> as if we've ever left that state. I was thinking, you know, there's so many other forms of education now, and and dare I invoke masterclass, this online learning thing. It's an online learning thing where you can pay, and and Marty Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, will teach you filmmaking 
for an hour right. or Ron Howard or I, I almost dropped dead when I saw Werner Herzog had done one. Um, what do you make right. of A, online learning and B, what do you what is the hieroglyphic created when a Martin Scorsese does an online learning uh, thing? Do you have to pay for those? Yeah, it's like 50 bucks, just, yeah. but you own the session, so it becomes like a digital file right. you own. Yeah, yeah, it's horse crap. Uh, no, I, uh, I, <laughs> Good night, I, everybody. I guess I don't really... I, I guess, I'd, to, be, to be fair, I'd have to say it's, it's probably really thrillingly valuable for some people, especially if they're in the early days of their love affair with film, and, and then maybe with rapidly diminishing returns after that if you absolutely worship a certain director it's probably just wonderful to hear their mellifluous uh tones um especially herzog's uh going on Herz- herzog's been pretty inspiring i've i've yeah. seen him speak and uh, yeah he's maybe, an incredible orator uh, maybe yeah. he repeats his shtick often but when you first hear it it's it's unbelievable you know i think he, he starts by telling you to steal a camera. And, to liberate. And, you know, I think he uses they, the word is liberate a camera, yes. I'm, I'm serious. I yeah, think that's, that's the word right. he uses, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, I think, does he still produce like a big um, uh, <laughs> chain full of um, skeleton keys? The students yes. come out of his talks just like as if they are um, launched themselves from starting blocks, you know. Yeah, they're, already, yeah. they're already making films as they cross the threshold out, out the lecture hall. But um, So he's obviously pretty inspiring. And, and um, He teaches I, Lock I picking. think the message of just doing it is good. What's that? Sorry, he, te- sorry, he teaches lockpicking at his school. So yeah. point eight in his <laughs> manifesto, sorry, I, I refer back to his manifesto. Yeah. He says related subjects, but not and more practical subjects to be taught will be the art of lockpicking, traveling <laughs> on foot, the exhilaration yep. of being shot at unsuccessfully, the athletic side of filmmaking, uh, the creation of your own shooting permits, and self-reliance. Those are exhilarating. And I, and I think in my own watered-down Canadian way, I've, I've probably f- um, maybe obeyed without even being aware of that manifesto. Um, just more in more law-abiding ways, but uh, I, the message is simple: just go out and make a movie already. And I, yeah. and in his case, he's so gifted that I know that he also says, "Don't wait around for the financing; just shoot with yeah. whatever amount of money you got yeah. already." Yeah. And there's lots to be said for that because you can destroy the momentum of your oh, soul <laughs> by waiting too long. A, a, cu- a couple, a couple of uber uber quick hitters as we say goodbye to Guy Men, uh, not, not literally but uh, metaphysically. Um, are film schools still necessary? Um, they seem to be necessary for the schools. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I. <laughs> I, I maybe maybe less so. I don't no, sure, why not? For that unknown percentage of people learning their their craft. Probably cinematographers, um I don't know, maybe not. Maybe YouTube and and the money to buy. Well I I don't know. I just don't know. Com- How do I know? Why are you asking me? I don't know. You <laughs> I happen- I, I dialed show, the wrong yeah. number. No, I dialed the wrong number. I was trying yeah. to... Uh, Werner doesn't have a phone. Um, he just You just <laughs> send him a message in the bottle and he answers it remarkably. A couple other quickies. <laughs> and this is one that I think is a, is a guilt-based albatross around many teachers. So you can either lift it or staple it on. Um, sure. The old mantra, those who cannot do, teach. Oh man, that that was a cruel one. Yeah. I think that was a There's tough some one. Pretty great. 
Yeah, no, there's some pretty great right. Just all you need is um, one example to disprove that statement. And there's so many great writers that are also teaching creative writing. And, you know, they're getting, I'm sure they're not thrilled about having to teach uh, because they'd rather be able to write full time, but they can do it. Um, and I know Harvard prides itself on not just having filmmakers, but active filmmakers here. And no, that's a cruel one. It's cruel to so many teachers who I look up to. I, I, and I'm not even talking about film teachers. It's just, um, just teachers should be paid about half a million dollars a year, oh. especially elementary and oh, high school you're, teachers. Holy you're, smokes. You're banging the gong, um, my gong here. Uh, two, two more questions yeah. uh, before we say idea. Uh, is this is a big one actually? Uh, maybe a bigger one. Is teaching an art? It. Yeah, I don't even know. I was just um, my girlfriend was asking me while watching figure skating at the Olympics if figure skating was a sport. Is teaching an art? Um, if you stretch the metaphor, it sure feels like you're acting intuitively, like you are when you're art making, often when you're teaching. And when you've had a good class, it feels like you've just finished a performance. Yeah. And that, that word certainly reminds one of art. So, and it often, when you've just walked out of a class, that you've either just barely survived or um, feel like you've really done well at, um, it does feel like you've, it's, it's, it produces similar endorphins to the ones uh, produced when you manage to fluke off a good sentence in an email or um, maybe a, a nice short passage in a film or something. So I, I, they're not entirely dissimilar. I'll commit myself to that much. The, the last question is, and it's not a, a dia, it's a till I see you again, until we <laughs> connect again, or till I yeah. email you I hope so. about, uh, you know, Edward G. Robinson films that you would recommend that uh, I've never seen <laughs> um, and would be shocked to know exist. See, that's the thing about your choices. What they're so amazing is it's not simply, oh, I hadn't seen this one. It's I didn't know it fucking existed. That's the that's the <laughs> the, the, the depth of your, uh, your autism, your film autism. The last question <laughs> is for now is why do you teach? Uh, man, uh, you know, the best things that I've, um, experienced in life have come just from hunger. Um, I need a job. Uh, so I, I do it for that, but luckily I happen to love my job. It's the same with filmmaking. Sometimes, uh, the, the films I I'm proudest of are ones that I've accepted as commissions and, um, um, you know, just someone who wanted me to lend my ethos to a project they had in mind and I took it on in return for um, a fee and um, I was just so flattered that someone was interested in having me that I tried extra hard so I, I, I start for the money and stick around for the endorphins. John Wooden to conclude our triptych of sports metaphors. <laughs> uh, John Wooden and actually Bill Parcells this is a favorite uh, there's a favorite poem of both of theirs ironically I don't know if you know the poem They Ask Me Why I Teach by Glennis Harmon. Do you know that poem? No, I don't. They often reference it. Uh, they've spoken it to their players a lot. They'll also often say it as a salutatory measure. And I'll, it's uh, written by Glennis Harmon, who I believe was an elementary school teacher, maybe even a uh, teacher of younger students. And her last line, I like to read this to my students if it's been a particularly good semester. And the last line is, they ask me why I teach. Well, where could I find more splendid company? So I want to thank you, Guy, because for the last hour, you've been the most splendid 
company. And uh, well, that's a really beautiful line, and what a lovely sentiment. Thank you so much. And uh, the best company is is flesh and blood. Uh, and we could <laughs> talk of past girlfriends, and uh, you know, <laughs> we could talk of Kukor. We could talk about uh, the Lubitsch touch. I look forward to doing this in person the next time. And if I could ever be of help on this side, just let me know. If I looked you up in the Ephraim Katz encyclopedia, would I find a list of all your ex-girlfriends? I don't know. It's You know, they've well, changed. They've, they're all in the witness person. protection program now, so it's probably... Um, <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, love the, I love that poem you read, and, and God bless you for having me on this show. It's been beautiful. Guy, be well, and I'll see you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Ciao. Class dismissed. I want to thank Professor Guy Madden for being with us here today. I want to thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. MurmurRadio.com Social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter, Instagram. Follow us. Download us. Subscribe to us. Be friends with us. <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Love TuneIn Radio. Email me, murmurradio at gmail.com. Don't be shy. It's all about community, right? It's like a film school. Good night, Aunt Lil. Wherever you are. See ya.